Individually, they are a force to be reckoned with. But when they join together, they become Unplugged Radio. Prepare to be swept off your feet as Greg Person, the lover, takes the stage. But wait, what illusion is this? It is no trick. It is Jake Hutton, magician, for your viewing pleasure. Look out! The sensational sensei himself, Mike Rossi, warrior on display. Bow down and grovel at his feet as John Vanas, king, utters his decree. Welcome to another exciting episode of Unplugged Radio. I'm your host, Greg. Your host, John. And I'm your other other host, Mike. Beautiful. How are we doing tonight, guys? I'm doing, doing awesome. Excellent. Seriously, like I, it's like the thing you say, like, oh, things are great. Yeah, but actually, like, I don't know. This week has been pretty good. I'm in the postmaster's high here. <laughs> Love to hear it. Right? <laughs> we can tell you that this week, at least, Mike's not phoning it in with his how you doing response. <laughs> right? He really means it. Everything's good, but I'm dying inside. It's a desperate <laughs> for help, guys. So as we're recording this uh, just into the second week of August, so we've had a bit of a break uh, since Masters ended. Obviously, our main topic is going to be focused on our experience at Masters and going to a couple of the games in particular, some of the highlights uh, that we had while we were there. But how about hobby update? You know, when you leave a tournament, especially... Uh, a tournament like Masters, where you see a bunch of armies that maybe you've never seen before, or you know, people from other regions bringing stuff that you didn't even know existed. Like, did it invigorate your hobby? Did it make you want to go home and and start painting, or did it make you think, "Gee, I need a break and and do something else entirely"? So I, my, okay, my two losses at Masters were to forces of nature armies. <laughs> I, know where this I mean, is I, going, I had everything else kind of in hand, you know, I had a little bit of luck, but those two, I was like, oh my God, with the surge and the air and the stuff, right? So like I, 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 uh, I went looking for um, Avatar The Last Air, Airbender minis because I want to have like an airbender and a waterbender and a, you know what I mean? Like a Zuko and then have them be my druids. But and so I'm, I'm, yep. I'm looking for minis, yep. right? To see, see, what, see, what, see what the realm of the possible is. So right. this is uh, an if you can't beat them, join them scenario we're talking I'm, about. I am assuming that they are going to nerf <laughs> um, that they're going to nerf this and fix it, right? But like, I, oh I no, why would you assume that? <laughs> you're, you're hoping they don't. I know. But, they, uh, but I, I I saw some really cool minis from third person. I, I played uh, Garrett Mercier, uh, Mercier from uh, from the mountain region in my second game, and he had an Aladdin themed Forces of Nature army. Oh, They're so cool looking. Cool. Right. And so I was like, wow, you can actually kind of do a lot. Cause I, you know, I, I expected the same, same minis for everybody who like speed painted their stuff to be like, Hey, these are good. And, uh, his army was gorgeous. And so I was like, well, what other creative things could you do to put that, to put that army on the table and have it match? And, you know, cause that's the transition army. You can put those minis into all kinds oh of yeah, they're armies, super right? versatile. Right. So like they're, you know, if if that that is the jumping off point, that's the first seven, eight hundred points of a bunch of other stuff. Right. Right. So 
you know, so I, I, I did that. And then, um, wait, did you actually buy anything or you just, you I, of... I, I am looking, um, looking what okay. I, yeah, what I did do is actually, I, uh, I, I cracked out, I found my terrain, um, uh, from the, from the packing boxes and I got that all out. And so now I have two tables worth of stuff, um, ready to go to get rolled out for, uh, for demos and stuff here and, and to have people over to play. So that was good. Um, but that's about it. Like, you know, I, I actually experienced that I'm, I'm buzzing, create, create creatively, but, uh, you know, that it's not even the inertia this time. It's just logistics. All my crap is packed away. Right. Yeah, well, so hey, there's no, no time like the present to, uh, you know, change that Mike. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Then two weeks from now when we when well, four weeks from now, when we, when we record again, the plan is to say, I put paint on a mini. So we'll see. Okay. Right. Hold, hold if, I could, it. if I could follow through. And not just a mini, but a non-dwarf mini? Uh, yeah, actually. I got <laughs> enough of those. I feel like I could do that, right? <laughs> Something else will pull my attention away with the ADD. But still, like, I'll, I'll, I, will, I will have a painting rig set up, and I'll be able to put paint on a mini. That'll be the plan. That would be good. It should be, right? That would be good to see. Yeah, buddy. Nice. How about you, John? Um, I, I came home invigorated for hobby. Um, I've been painting up a storm since I got home. Uh, nothing in particular that I want to report. I haven't painted anything for Kings of War, actually. I had some other projects that I had started previously that I wanted to finish up first. Um, and I finished some of them, and I have some others left to do so far. So I've been working on some terrain. I'm painting a building right now, actually, for Warcry. Um, but I, I have a hobby musing, perhaps. So I've been using more synthetic brushes lately. Uh, synthetic bristles, you know, if, uh, if you're into painting, yep. um, they either come in natural fiber, which are usually made from some type of weasel hair, or, or uh, for, for the brushes that we typically use, watercolor brushes, um, or they're synthetic, which is, you know, I don't know, some kind of plastic, I guess. Um, and so the reason I've been using synthetic brushes more often is because of the way they soak up paint differently. And so I've been using contrast paints a lot as washes, I guess. I don't really use them as contrast paints, but I really like the vibrancy of a lot of the colors. Mm -hmm. um, and so I put them on as a tint or an, or um, anyway, but uh, they soak up into a natural hair bristle way too aggressively. And it makes it hard to control the application of the contrast paints. Um, synthetic brushes don't soak up as much paint. They don't have whatever, for whatever reason, they're not as um, absorbent, I guess. Yeah. There's a term for that. The, Anyway, there's a term for how much of the material absorbs into a... Hydrophilic? Yeah, that wasn't the word I'm looking for, but whatever. Yeah, um, so they absorb less paint anyway. So if you put some on your palette, it's really easy to get a controllable amount of contrast paint because it's very watery on a synthetic brush. So I've been really enjoying um, using them to get like fine lines and stuff like that. But I'm noticing that their durability is total shit. I will use a natural hair brush... For like a year, 18 months, maybe I'll use a Windsor Newton series seven for, yeah, probably, probably 12 to 18 months before I replace it painting like every day. Whereas a synthetic brush, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to buy new ones almost every week. I, they, the tips on them start to curl almost immediately after use. I use synthetics and I replace my brushes every six months when I was painting every Ooh. six months. And that's and that's not me painting every night like you guys do. I paint like when I when I'm in the groove, I'm like once or twice a week watching football, you know, 
And uh, yeah, it's the amount of replacement you have to do. Cause you're right. The tip curls after like the third or fourth and, heavy, and you, heavy use day. Yeah. And you can use it like that for a little while, but eventually it gets so bad that you just can't, you can't pay with it anymore. And so it's like, I guess it's okay because I'm using them from a different purpose. Right. So right. I, I, you know, I want to use the right tool for the job, but it is a little bit frustrating that the durability is so bad. Um, and I've tried a whole bunch of different brands, different sizes, and they all they all do it. Right. Have you used the new uh, GW line yet? I haven't tried that line. Nope. I find that they're more durable than the average synthetic. So, and I really like the variety of <clears throat> sizes and styles that they have. Like, I got the I don't know what I'm using right now. The medium shading brush maybe to apply contrast and washes. And it's really good because it, it is a bigger brush. So it, it holds a decent amount, but it's still very controllable. Mm -hmm. um, and even though the brush is kind of big, I could still use it on areas that are relatively small, but yeah, I've, I've mentioned it before. I also use synthetics and um, it's, yeah, you just have to work around it, unfortunately. Like, I don't want to sit here and be like, well, you know, my painting would be better. <laughs> but you got to give me props because I use synthetic brushes, but kind of like, I don't know. I feel like some people who are trying to paint to a high level, if you gave them the tools I work with, would be like, what the heck? How do you produce anything? <laughs> right. But yeah, it it's about tactical use of different brushes that my like size zero brush that I only bring out every once in a great while still has a good tip. Cause I only bring it out every once in a great while, but right. yeah, a right. lot of replacing. Yeah. So, so that's okay, but it's been an interesting experiment for me and I, and I am enjoying using them in the right circumstances. Uh, for me, at least, you know, my, my use case obviously is with certain types of paint. I I also use them for other, I have like some alcohol based paints that I use. Okay. Um, and I, I use the synthetic brushes for that because I guess the something about whatever doesn't really come out of the natural bristles as well. And it, it gums them up permanently. Um, so yeah, experimenting with different brushes. And then the other thing I went found the other day when I was buying new synthetic brushes uh, was, um, and I've used these in a couple other places, but Liquitex sells, um, a line of inks that you can get in a bot and dropper bottles. Okay. And they're, I don't know, did you, you guys painted back in the nineties, right? Remember when GW had a line of, of inks? Yeah, I do. I still they're, have some. I still have some. They're yeah, chestnut sure. ink. No, yeah. Chest, yeah. You need these, it? these Liquitex <laughs> inks are just like that. Really? Um, yeah, dude, I couldn't believe it. I got like a burnt umber ink and I was like, holy shit, this is like just like chestnut ink. It's a little bit darker, but I'm sure there's a chestnutty color in there too. Right. Um, and I really like the way it goes on sometimes. I mean, the inks flow a different way than paint, so you gotta sure. get used to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. But I put I, I I was trying it out, I said, Oh, oh, this is really nice. <laughs> so it could be, you know. Uh, an option go to michael's or whatever and pick up some liquitex inks and uh, liquitex okay those are shot they're like four or five bucks a bottle and um because it's in a dropper bottle it's very controllable um that's nice. cool nice nice hobby yeah buddy Good for me well i um been happy to jump back into my dwarf army that i had started uh Mm, last year, late last year, 
and um, had to kind of put it on hold while I painted those last couple of units for masters for my nature. Mm-hmm. And now it's back to the dwarfs. So I got an organ gun completed, which I'm pretty happy with how that came out. And you could check it out if you joined the Unplugged Radio Discord or followed me on Instagram at Unplugged Radio KOW. Uh, I, I'm going to have three of the organ guns in my army because I just love that old model. And, um, you know, people will tell me organ guns are trash and I should be taking flame throwers, flame belchers, whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Organ guns. Uh, so there's three crew members <laughs> with, that come with the the old organ gun that I use. Yeah. So uh, you know, I figure I'll put one crew member on each base. Um, that's something that's always bugged me in Kings of War is that you can have war engines with no crew members. Like, yeah. there's no rules for the crew members. Like back in Warhammer, they actually kind of did stuff. Uh, just a little. But, I mean, yeah. Just a little. I mean, they were there. You know, anything else, but yeah. if you lost one, you couldn't shoot as, or two, you couldn't shoot as effectively. Shoot as fast, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it just, it looks silly to me to look at a machine with no one to operate it. So I figure I could, you know, painting one for each, it's not too much of a burden and it, yeah. it'll look cool. So I did that. And then I am working on a regiment of Iron Guard, which are going to be represented by the old Iron Breaker models. So I was cleaning those up the other day and getting them ready, uh, and I just primed the first couple. So I haven't put paint on them yet, but that's what I'm looking forward to doing next. Cool. Hopefully I will have some progress to report uh, when we record next time. Nice. Awesome. How about uh, non-hobby stuff, books, media, things like that? What have we been up to, Postmasters? So, uh, uh, go ahead, Mike. I I, I read the uh, the the next or the second um, Mistborn trilogy. Oh, so the one that was set in essentially like Wild West tech, and uh, so I got on the Kindle, and you know I hadn't. I, I haven't actually kept up because the only thing that really matters from Sanderson these days, if you thought the Jake is like, if you're not reading, you know, Oathbringer and stuff, then what's wrong with you? If you're not reading the Stormlight Archive, then get out, right? But oddly enough, Brandon Sanderson has written a bunch of other cool shit. So I'm, I, <laughs> I mean, I blew through that second series. It is really good. Really, it is really good. It is that magic system of being able to push and pull metal in a. 1860s to 1890s technology level where guns exist and stuff like that is pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it has a really cool Wild West feel. I don't know. It's just awesome. It's nice and pulpy. But I got to the end of the third book. I'm like, here we go. It's the end of the book. Should be the end of the series. Get done. The last book in the Stormlight Arca or in the, you know, in the Mistborn series will be released November 2022 no right so now i have to wait i broke my own rule <laughs> out of out of ignorance right because i didn't realize that the series wasn't done i was like ah, it's a trilogy it must be over got done with the third book and i was like are you shitting me so the last one's called the lost metal or something like that and i i can't wait i cannot wait i'm, I'm hooked so I, good i was listening to book two of the uh the first series this afternoon actually so i'm mm-hmm. and I, i'm really enjoying it so yeah he, he writes yeah. really well so it's, awesome. Yeah, it's it. I don't know. Just the concepts are good, and everything is internally consistent. And I, 
it's it's great. So. Yeah. I uh, when we went to Seattle, I just read a short. I didn't have a ton of reading time, uh, especially because the flight home was a red eye. So I slept on the plane. Usually, I get a lot of reading time on planes. Good for you. Um, well, I was exhausted, so. Yeah. Uh, but I read uh, the Man in the High Castle. Oh. Which uh, was which was which was fun. So I I picked up a couple of books for the trip, um, and that was the only one that I actually got to read because I spent so much time sleeping. Um, <laughs> from all right. the ex exhausting activities. Yeah. Um, right. But I, it, it, I enjoyed it. It was really weird. Um, yeah. The story doesn't really go anywhere. The setup of the world is strange. Like there's some, like Mike and I were talking about a little bit offline. It's, it's kind of like Jake was saying, like a slice of life book in a lot of ways. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on that don't really do anything except for kind of explain to you the way the world is mm -hmm. which is okay like that you have to explain somehow what the world is, is like and this is a this is a uh what's it called historical fiction yep non alternate historical fiction alternate it's, history it's yep. alternate history it's kind of could be real i guess um but it doesn't really go anywhere and so that's at the in the end it's a little bit frustrating to get to the end and it just <laughs> just kind of stops in the middle of nothing it doesn't really resolve any of the arcs that it had set up. Right. Um, but the part I enjoyed about it was I, I've been, you know, as a side hobby of mine for the past couple of years, been learning German. And there's a little bit of German sprinkled in the book. Well, because um, Nazis control half of the United States. So, it, yeah. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so I was able to read the German. Uh, it was all pretty basic German, too. There wasn't anything super complicated in it. And so sure. I was like, oh, there's like one part. There's a... I don't remember why it comes up, but there's like a children's song or like a a Bolton, a lullaby or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, that's funny. It's about a dad who's riding home to his kids in the middle of the night on a horse. Like, and you know, if you didn't mm -hmm. know German, you wouldn't get what that phrase does. So sure. I thought that was kind of uh, fun and unexpected for me. Um, and the, the book was okay, other than that. <laughs> it, was, it was fine. Well, so, so that being said, and I, I think when we talked about it before and the last time I said, get ready, because at the end of his book, there's going to be this twist that makes you go, what is real? What is not? So did that? And it's like within the past, if I remember correctly, it's like the last two pages. They go up, they knock on the door, the guy comes to the door and they have an exchange. I'm saying these things in a nice generic way so that I don't spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it. And if you haven't read it, I actually think this is one of Philip K. Dick's better novels. I've read six of them. And this, I, I actually think this one is my favorite. Um, but what did, did that scene strike home to you where they kind of put it together and go, wow, this guy who lives up here has more power than we thought. I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. All right. So everybody. I, I, just, I just read just, this book like no, but, a week ago and just, okay, I have so, no clue what you're talking about. Now I have to dig in. All right. So it's a spoiler <laughs> alert. So what we're going to keep this with. <laughs> Greg, you got to keep us on a clock for like three minutes. Okay, so if you if you if you haven't read the book and you want to read the book, skip forward three minutes. All right. So starting now. now. All right. So there's these multiple people that are you know there's the there's the 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 Japanese art dealer and the and the and and the the and the lady who ends up murdering somebody and all this other stuff that happens right. 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 And they 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 all kind of converge. And meanwhile, the the if I remember remember correct, the lady keeps throwing the Ai Jing over and over again to read, to read, to find out what the future is. Yes. Right. 
And Every, everybody's throwing everybody, it. but everybody's doing it, which is weird, right? Because that's a cultural thing that you wouldn't imagine. So he draws a parallel to the, to the, I forget the guy's name, the guy in the mansion at the end, he's the guy in the, he's the man in the high castle. Yeah. He's the rich guy who actually also throws the Ijing, right? And when he throws it, things happen. I don't know if you put that together. And at the end, they go to his mansion and go, and the lady's like, you got to tell me that like, I have free will. And he just kind of nods and sh he, he shakes his head. No one shuts the door. And that's the end of the book, right? You didn't put that together? No, that it, it, whatever happened there went over my head. Yeah, so that was the thing that hit me where I was like, whoa, right? Is this all just... In, are they all manifestations of this other guy's expression of, of reality, right? And so that, I mean, anyway, so that's that's what I took from the book. And I was like, that's so slick. Anyway, I, if, it, if it didn't hit you, no, nope. you know. Nope. Are, are, if there was something deeper there, it didn't get to me. Um, gotcha. So, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> Disappoint. Totally fine. Totally fine, right? But yeah, I actually found that to be like the one of the most intriguing parts of the book was that so anyway neither here oh, nor there all okay. right so all right. we're done with three minutes we could do the lady from Ipanema for the next one minute and 15 yeah minutes. yeah yeah you, <laughs> right? you squeaked it in in under three <laughs> i talk fast i know what's <laughs> right it's ridiculous <laughs> it is a quick read by the way it's only two under 300 pages yeah, there's not uh, much and, to it and there's not there's not much to it it goes pretty quick but there are some some pretty dull sections in those slice of life portions of it were like totally true you know there's some relationships building i think that goes nowhere and so you're like well what was the point of that right um, right why did and, i sit through this yep yeah you know he's got like this relationship with the art dealer and it's like i don't i don't think we actually needed any of that in the story no. but but it's 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 part of building the the psyche of what's going on there because like all the americans have these weird japanese or nazi ties and right. so like the and actually the the voicing of the character that character he speaks with an asian accent yeah crazy uh, right it, which is yeah yeah you like you read it and you're like yeah but he's from san francisco yeah but but the japanese took over san francisco and now he's i don't know if he grew up that way i don't think so because he he was alive before the war so he's doing it to fit in i assume yes yes right? that's weird yeah, they mentioned that they mentioned that in the in the in the book itself when they talk about the way that he he assimilates to the people and he hates them at the same time. Right. 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 But yeah. So man of the high castle. Weird little read. It's I loved it. So but you know, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> the other book that I had picked up was um I mean I just went to the library and grabbed whatever they had on the shelf was a Dritz book. Okay. And uh, I didn't end up getting to it. So candy. It was going to be candy, but it was also a book in the middle of the series. And I, oh, had, really? I had never read any of the other Dritz books before. So I was like, I'll read this if I get bored and have nothing else to do, but I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to go after this uh, in the, yeah. So I didn't realize that R.A. Salvatore though, is it uh, grew up like 10 minutes from my house. Did he really? Yeah. He grew up in Worcester. That's interesting. Cool. Not that, that really matters, but <laughs> well, you know, yeah, nifty, interesting, yeah. cool. Greg, what are you reading? So are we back on I the clock now, or what, what's the? I feel, what? I feel like, I feel like it's it's long past. It's been long enough. Okay. Yeah, it's it's long past. Come back, come back to the fold. <laughs> no more spoilers. Uh, so I read a, a book called Empire the Vampire oh, by Jay Kristoff. 
Okay. Uh, this book was recommended to me by Jake. Um, I'll start off with my two criticisms. One, it's a terrible name. Empire of the Vampire. It I don't even rhymes know too much. It's, ugh, I hate it. Um, my other criticism, which was shared uh, by Jake and uh, a couple other people I spoke to who also read the book, is that uh, Christoph has borrowed heavily from lots of other media books, movies, etc., um, to put his plot together. So it's not, in some ways, it's very original when I explain like sort of the setup in the world. But then when you read it, you're going to constantly go like, oh, this is just like X from Y. This is just like gotcha. A from B. Uh, um, despite those two criticisms, I loved this book and I thought wow. it was excellent. So this came out in 2021. And it's um, like a horror fantasy novel. So uh, the premise here takes place in a fantasy world that is uh, pretty clearly inspired by medieval Europe. And there is a religion that is in all effects Christianity with a different name uh, that, you know, the people adhere to and is very central to their lives and, and central to the plot. Um, in the recent past, uh, 27 years ago, uh, there was an unexplained event that they called Day's Death, where the sun just ain't strong anymore. It comes up for only a few hours a day, and the sunlight is very, very weak. Huh. So this has had uh, tremendous consequences on the world, short and long term, uh, basically has thrown their entire agricultural system into disarray because there's only certain things you can grow Um, and it's also made it so that vampires who used to only be able to operate at night because they would be burned by the sun can now walk around all the time you know without uh being opposed and so that's what's happened uh vampires have um sort of rallied together and risen armies and waged a war to conquer humanity. And wow. they are winning that war very strongly. <laughs> so, uh, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, right? It's not okay. good. Right? Huh. So the, the main character, his name is Gabriel. He's what's called a pale blood, which means his mother is human. His father is a vampire. So he's like a half breed. And pale bloods inherit certain powers from their vampire fathers. And they... Uh, generally uh, are on the side of humanity. And so once he gets old enough and his powers develop, he joins this order of other pale bloods who are super, super religious. And they are seen, they see themselves and sort of the the other humans see them as like their last hope. Oh my gosh. What other book did that? We just see that in. Wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. Shit. Okay. Okay. So, um, that's the setup. Now it takes place um, like where Gabriel is telling his story um, somewhat like, um, you know, Patrick Rothfuss and uh, name of the wind. Sure. Uh, where quoth is retelling his story. So he has uh, fallen from grace. Like he, he Gabriel was the best vampire hunter that the world had ever seen. And he was amazing and he did all these great things, but now he's like a drunken reprobate and he's kind of telling his story. Um, 
I love the book because uh, the world is really cool and the vampires are, are brutal and scary. Um, and the stuff that happens with them taking over is just, it, it's fascinating. Okay. Gabriel is an interesting narrator. He is, uh, you know, the whole book, I, I, if I had to describe it in a word, it would be gratuitous. The violence is over the top. <laughs> the swearing is over the top. And Gabriel, you know, the F-bombs are, are filling every paragraph. Sure. Um, and the sex scenes uh, are gratuitous as well. So it you got to be a little bit prepared for that, I guess. But it's really, really enjoyable. Um, now, I read the book on my Kindle. And I think Jake and some other folks did audio um, for it. But I would recommend that you get your hands. One moment. Okay. Sorry, that's the the cat feeder. Uh, (laughs) You get your hands on it because it is an illustrated book. And there are, um, I don't know, somewhere around 10 illustrations. And they're fantastic. Okay. So I really, really enjoyed the book. And it is the first book in a series. but. Uh, I have not been able to find any information about the second book other than uh, Goodreads claiming that it's coming out in 2023. Interesting. So when I finished, I was like, holy crap, I immediately want to read. Like, I'm I'm annoyed that this is over. I want to keep reading. And wow. even with what, you know, I kind of mentioned as its comebacks and its faults, like I wouldn't rate this as like the greatest piece of literature, but the it's just all the, the, the components of it come together to make something that's really cool and uh, I think unique, even if a lot of the plot points are borrowed. So sure. if you want something dark and brutal with black humor um, and it's a, just a great vampire story, then Empire of the Vampire by Jay Kristoff. Interesting. Cool. cool. Cool, cool, cool. It's funny. It's, Jake has always has, has complained to me and to to us on the podcast about like books where the the hero is a complete Mary, they call him a Mary Sue, where like he can do nothing wrong. If you're better, if you're the best at that, he's better than you, right? And how there is no dramatic tension because of that. Did you find that as part of this book at all? No, because like as you as you read it and um, you know, Gabriel is telling his story. You realize, just like with the name of the wind, some of the stuff that people say about him is is like greatly exaggerated. Okay, and it's like, okay, he was the best vampire hunter, but because he worked the hardest, because he wanted it the most, like he wasn't gifted uh, with as many gifts as the other um, pale bloods. It, it goes into the whole thing. Basically, the vampires come from four different uh, bloodlines. Think like Warhammer, how you used to have bloodlines. And they have different attributes. So like one of them can um, communicate with beasts, like control beasts and animals. Another one is like has superhuman strength. Uh, Another one has like super durable, like toughness. So you can, you know, hit them really hard and stab them and it it has no effect. And they um, have like a little bit of mind control, stuff like that. And depending on the bloodline of your father, you, you inherit like some of those powers. But Gabriel, as soon as he joins the order, he has no powers. I mean, he's stronger than a normal human and he 
um, heals the pale bloods heal quickly. Um, but, uh, he doesn't have anything remarkable. And so gotcha. he's considered, they call him a frail blood where he's like weak. Um, and there's more, there's a whole lot more to that. And it goes into, sure, sure. I'm, not, I'm not giving a lot away, but he has to work twice as hard as everybody else. Um, gotcha. just to be on an even playing field and then to become the best, you know, it's like, and he, he constantly, again, kind of like quoth in name of the wind, like when he exhibits hubris and he's like overly confident he ends up getting himself and those around him in serious trouble gotcha. so you know it, it bites him in the ass if he if he becomes overconfident so interesting yep all right cool very cool all right all right well let's uh let's take a quick break and then when we come back we'll talk about our experience at the masters yeah buddy cool two u.s masters let's dive right in yeah, uh dude. first of all it was in seattle what was everyone's experience traveling up to seattle for i think all of us it was our first time yes, yeah I've been there. yeah it was awesome uh it, interesting okay so cool cool thing for you to ask I, I i do want to mention to the to the listeners that we all took the opportunity if you're going to fly across the country you don't just go for the weekend right so we went um we we were there often between us, I think for at least a week, right? Like I, I flew out on Monday and left the following Monday. Right. Yeah. I was there Wednesday to Wednesday. Yeah. I was there for, I was only there for six days. Yeah. But still it's only right. Yeah. So like, I know, right. Exactly. Yeah. So like our, our experiences really were, were, um, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed Seattle. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Oh my God, guys, Mount Rainier. It just floats, right? It like floats in the sky. It's like the gods live there. You know, it, it, it was the, the back of my Airbnb. I opened the, I opened the, 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 the door to the, the sliding glass door and there it is just floating there above like the city. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I thought the place not to be overly po- poetic, but I really thought it was uh, just really gorgeous. You know, I, I found Seattle itself to be, uh on the verge of not worth visiting really um yeah but you know cat cat and i talked to cat's my wife uh we talked about this a little bit i just think we're not city people so to me every city i visit is basically the same i mean i know they're a little bit different but in terms of what you get out of visiting a city mm-hmm. i don't get much out of it hmm. to me they're all basically the same thing um you know i live outside of boston Seattle and Boston, not that, not that different at the end of the day. Right. Um, I mean, Mount Rainier was a Mount Rain, like the, the, the views of Mount Rainier. Yes. Those are incredible, but that's not Seattle. That's not, you know, that's, that's just the region. Like you see that from anywhere. Um, 
Interesting. And, and the city itself, like having, you know, walked around the city and like getting, you know, some food and checking out some of the museums and stuff, it felt very much like any other city I visited across the country. So, but that's my perspective. And I, I am, I'm, I'm fully recognizing I'm just not a city person. Right. So, so Greg, do you want to fight him or shall I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, no, I think John's point is fair. He's not a big city guy. So the things that one might find particularly appealing about certain cities over others, it's all water under the bridge to John. He's not looking at that stuff. Right. Um, I found it to be very remarkably different from uh, cities in the Northeast and some other cities I've visited. Um Again, coming at it, looking for slightly different things. Um, I thought just the size of the city was great. It was easy enough to get around. Small, um, small city. Yep. It was fairly clean. Uh, being on the water with the views was beautiful. We went one night, we took a, like a sunset cruise in the harbor, which was gorgeous. Yeah, we went out to eat, we went dancing, we did all sorts of stuff. So we we had a fun time when we were in the city proper. And then also like exploring other parts of the state of Washington was just beautiful. Um, and there is a lot of wonderful nature to observe uh, and to interact with. So, um, and the, just other things, you know, don't, need to get into a whole lot of specifics but you know like recreational marijuana not the same in washington state as it is in the northeastern u.s it's a great thing i feel um, i feel like that's <laughs> i feel like that's lost on john <laughs> to be honest it's lost on me too but i'm making fun of john by saying uh that. you're the best mike thank you just let you know right it's just rubbing it in yeah so 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 we loved it um and and can't wait to go back uh, at some point in the future. So so we were hanging out, and I get it. I get it because we're on you know, a little group message between all of us, right? And I get this message from from Greg that goes. It just starts with all caps. I am moving out here, right? I'm like, what? There's a vegan place a block away from my Airbnb. There's another place that's another vegan place over here. There's the marijuana joint up the street. This is amazing, right? And I. I remember looking at that and being like, well, it, it, it's going to be weird finding a time for us all to record. Right? <laughs> Apparently he's got to go. He's got things. Yeah. So, I, I, one thing, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people um, about how much we loved it out there. Um, many of them were like, that's cute. You should go to Portland. Now, a lot of those people were from Portland, Oregon, sure. uh, but not all right. of them. Um, and then there was the fact that we were all there for a week or six days and it didn't rain once the skies were clear the weather was, oh, the weather was, was the unseasonably yeah. warm for them, which, yeah. which felt, you know, lower than the average heat that we're experiencing now over here. So right. it was like, you know, perfect. And the, the weather was beautiful. We totally. Yeah. Out. Yeah. I, I understand, you know seasonal affective disorder is a real problem over there because it's, it's dark and cloudy and raining the sure. majority of the time. Sure. But, um, for the, for the window that we were there, it was, it was, it was amazing. Perfect. I got amazing. some great hiking in. It was so awesome. 
Right. The recreation opportunities were were fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Hands down. But. So in terms of the, the actual event, um, what we thought we'd do was pick a couple of games that stood out to us as sort of highlights and talk about them um, in as much detail as uh, you, know, you want to get into. Uh, it was a six-round tournament, first time, first time ever that Masters did three and three? Uh, uh, or maybe just the first yeah. time in a while first that we've in done a while. three yeah. and three. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely a different vibe uh, that uh, a lot of folks appreciated. Um, and some did not. And some did not, you know. So heard a lot of whining about it. So reason why it, it has gone back and forth, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Mike, you want to start us off with one of your games? Tell us uh, about your list. Tell us who you played their list and, and why sure. you're describing this game for us. Sure. So I... um. If you've listened to the podcast in the, in the past, you've, you've or any other Masters coverage, you've heard about my list. It's five regiments of Iron Guard, so defense six, 15, 17, Nerve. Um, and they all have throwing Mastiffs. Three troops of, or three regiments of Mastiffs with throwing Mastiffs. Um, four uh, troops of sharpshooters. Um, a, uh, I have Gallic's Fury. I have um, uh, Garrick Heavyhand. Um uh, a king on large beast who's height four with the trickster's wand. So, you know, to like shut down enemy spellcasters and, uh, and the um, large infantry special character whose name is escaping me. Um, Faber, Ironheart. Faber Ironheart. Yep. So he's, he's, he's great. And that was my list, right? So defense six or stuff that dies. And uh, it, it performed really well. Um, in most matchups. So my first game that I want to highlight is I played a game against uh, my first game. Uh, was against Tyler Schultz um, uh, from the mountain region. And I, I, you know, he's one of those dudes that you see at the Masters, you wave at him, hey, that, that guy looks cool. But we ended up playing each other, and it was it, he was fun. He was a lot of fun. He ended up playing a, a, a Brother Mark um, list that was three, four, four hordes of infantry. Uh, uh, so two of the, the, just the scut, like the Valaine, and two of the, I forget what they're called, but they're they're good. They hit on threes, and you know they, they crushed one. Um, and then he had a regiment, Paladin um, Monster Slayers, maybe. That... Yes, well, that's that's the that's the regiment that actually has it gives off uh, leadership around it. So mm. he sets up with like, I'm sorry, he had five hordes or something like that. So it was like he set up in a square formation where I'm I'm looking across from him, and he's got, and we're playing, uh, we're playing uh, control. control control right so i'm like okay yep. he has as much unit strength as i do uh, but anyway so he he sets up in this checkerboard formation where he has two of the scut hordes and then behind it are two of the good hordes and then he's got that regiment in the middle just giving leadership to everybody which then allows his multiple regiments of knights to be on one flank and a dragon he's got the dragon with the formation that gives it brutal and every and you know gives bonuses to other stuff and i'm like oh man so i'm looking across the thing and he's got a couple magic users to like um, yeah, to give him enchant and to keep him alive. Fine. So I'm looking across the table and I'm like, he has more unit strength than I do. And, uh, how am I going to do this? And I, in my mind, I'm like, he's only got 11 drops. I can now drop him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up in such a way that once he puts the dragon down, I'm going to reserve. Normally I put my sharpshooters down. I put two of them down in the middle where they have good line, lines of sight. And then 
I reserve the other two. This time I was like, I'm going to reserve all four. I have to kill that dragon because if it gets behind me and I have to peel any of my units back to deal with it, then because I don't have I don't have a, a a Brock I don't have a Brock Lord, right? I don't have, I don't really have anything that can go 360. I can reserve something in the back for, as a second line, but you know. So I was like, so the idea is that wherever his dragon goes, that dragon has to go. So when it shows up, I'm going to rush everything that I can, um, and I reserved all, most of my dogs too. Because they're maneuverable and they can release dogs. Just, just right? be clear. When you say reserve, you mean you're holding it back in your deployment, right? You're not, so you're I'm, not putting it down, right? So I'm making this line of regiments, and then I have Gallic behind it. I have one of the dogs, and then I have Garrick, heavy hand. I have Faber Ironheart on the right hand side. So I've got as many setups as he does, and I still have six setups to go, right? So I can see where he's deployed, and I okay, so it's. Guns, 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 guns. He ends up taking his dragon and puts it behind a wood on the in the uh, that was situated a third of the table side in on the left hand side on his side of the table. So he takes his. Uh, I get to go first. I move my stuff up. Everybody runs forward because that's what dwarves do on the first turn. They run forward to try to control table space because if you go second, you do. And I shoot at at some knights, and the knights are like, "We're fine." Okay, cool. His turn, he moves the dragon up into the wood. So he can see out and I can see him. And he's in the woods. And okay, cool. What that allows me to do then is I take all my, you know, I, I, I run two regiments and two of the dogs up so that they're within a foot or three of the regiments and two of the dogs up so they're within a foot of the dragon. So I have to push everybody up as far forward as they can go. So I moved eight last time and it's like four or six this time. And now there you go. So I release all these dogs. Dogs, 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 right? And 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 uh, Gallic's Fury is rolling up behind them, giving them the the the, the uh, very inspiring. So I pick up. Essentially, it's forty dog shots, hitting on fours, wounded on fours. Ouch! Right. So I should do 10, 11, 11 wounds. Yep. Maybe about ten, eleven wounds. By the time all is said and done, between that and all the and twenty shots from the guns in the back. I end up doing eight wounds total. Oh, oh I'm like, I am in so much trouble right now. And I look at him and he's like, oh, this is awful. Like, oh, I know it's awful. And we're all saying it's awful. I'm rolling dice and, you know, awful. So turns out I'm like, well, I got Gallic left. Gallic moved. You're in the woods. I hit on sixes. I pick up 12 dice. I hit him seven times. And then I wound him seven oh. times. Oh, so, I love it. I love uh, it so much. So I wound up, he's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, and, you know, so I, I pick up the dice, boop, boop, and I pick up your dragon. Cool. That changes the battle. Yeah, so bit. I do the Admiral Akbar. I sit back in a table, you know, I sit back in my chair. I'm like, ah, oh, good. It wasn't a trap after all, right? So then, and he took that like a champion, right? I mean, he really was with a smile. By having to move everybody up to get all those dog shots, I'm out, I'm now sort of out of position. So he takes every single unit and charges all of my units. Sure, you put yourself out now oh, to, yeah, be able to do that. Absolutely. So next thing you know, the battle line is engaged. Whoop! Right, and uh, on the far left, I have he has a regiment of knights that go in. They kill some dogs and then they turn to face in toward my line. Right. And meanwhile, everything else, he rolls in, he does a bunch of wounds, he doesn't really break anything else. I punch him back, I don't break anything else. So I'm like, wow, he's got this unit nice he's facing to the left. I'm in trouble. So meanwhile, thank you, Greg. Garrick Heavyhand goes, You're within eight inches. 
runs over and punches that unit on his night unit in the face, right? Does a wound. You stay there. You do not charge. I'm mighty, which then, which then bought me time to grind out the rest of his units in the middle and then gave me the win. So it was really tight. You know, I go in, I get some luck. I kill the dragon. He goes in, puts six units here, seven, you know, six wounds there, seven wounds there, five wounds there, eight wounds there. Everything is kind of staying steady. On the right-hand side, he breaks some regiments. I have a king on large beast. He just runs into this by time, right? I'm just sacrificing these one unit strength units to like stop his hordes from advancing. And uh, I was able to pull out the win um, in the last turn. I finally killed one of the hordes to give me a clear victory where I was like, okay, this is mine now on turn six. That's how close it was, even with killing the dragon. Like those blocks have, after all said and done, because he's got the mage back there casting rally, they're like 23, 25 nerve. Hard right? to kill that. Right? And I'm like, well, I have 12 attacks hitting on threes with no crush. Well, I'll do three or four wounds a turn. It's consistent, but it's not fast. It's not going to kill it. No, right? So it ended up being really tight. Like we ended up having to go to a, like we went to a, at six, I, w- I was winning. And even then I was like, wow, he gets to, you know, he gets to go second on six. And if he kills this unit, he he's winning. And I need a seven. Like it was that, it was that tight. Um, and he was just, he was just great. I t- Tyler was an amazing, just an amazing opponent to start the masters. And we'd never played before. And he, but he was, a, he was such a good dude. And like I said, he took, he took my good luck in stride. Right. And that, that said a lot, right. It, so it was good. Anyway, that's, that was my first game. And I was like, yeah, I got to win. Here we go. Right. But Greg, how about you? Oh boy. Well, I also want to talk about my first game. So real quick, let's go over my list. Force of nature. Here's what we got. Regiment of Salamander Primes, Regiment of Centaur Brace Striders, two regiments of Forest Shamblers, Horde of Earth Elementals with Brew of Sharpness, two regiments of Scorch Wings, a Greater Air Elemental, a Greater Earth Elemental, the Glade Walker Druid with Shroud of the Saint, Surge 8 and Ring of Harmony, a Tree Herder, and then my Forces of the Abyss Evil Tree Allies, Horde of Molochs with the Despoiler Champion Upgrade, and an Abyssal Fiend. Okay, uh, I was matched up against Nathan Clevenger from the southeast, and he was bringing Night Stalkers. So let's talk about his list for a moment. Two legions of bloodworms, one with Hammer of Measured Force, one with Blessing of the Gods, a Planar Apparition, Horror Rift Weavers, Horde of Fiends with Brew of Strength, Four regiments of soul flayers, one with a blade of slashing. Four, wow. Oh, yeah. A horror with bane chant two, conjurer's staff, and the aura of vicious for melee and infantry only for Good. those, you know, bloodworm legions. Yeah. A banshee with the zephyr crown and the resonant chorus upgrade. And then Issa Nishra. The Wailing Shadow, who he pronounced as Essen Shira. I don't know which of us is right. Maybe neither of us are right. Who knows? But Isanisha, Essen Shira, rounding out the list. There you go. So, um, a couple Shakira. things. First of all, Nathan, Shakira. That's what I was calling sh- yeah. Shakira. Yeah. <laughs> I love Nathan. We played um, Masters 2018 maybe whenever I brought Night Stalkers um, and he had Empire of Dust we had an awesome game 
Um, and, uh, you know, known him, talked to him at each master since. So it was good to, to get another game in with him. Uh, and he did not disappoint. He was uh, a great, uh, tactical player, great sportsman, etc. Uh, going into this game, we, of course, it was round one. So we had the matchup cast. I need to, I need to bring this up. Uh, I got, I got panned on the matchup cast. Like I was the first and perhaps the only, because I honestly stopped watching, uh, matchup where they unanimously voted against me. And uh, to the point where people were like, oh, I don't know, would, would Greg take these models? Why did he take these models? Maybe well, he I think, can't fly with to, his ogre army. To, to be fair, Go I ahead. think Corey Reynolds' opponent also was was uh Corey Reynolds was the was the other unanimous like this dude's gonna win his opponent has no chance but that just tells you what you right that just speaks to it so so I I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder going into this game I'll just say that um sure. not in a bad way but I was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna prove everybody that uh you know my list can do what I know it can do what maybe nobody else knows it can do um so we're playing control, which was not a terrible matchup for me. I've got uh, one more unit strength than him, and I think one more drop. If, uh, let me look. Yeah, one more drop. So I've got 13 units, 24 unit strength. He's got 12 units, 23 unit strength. Um, but he's got three individuals. I only have one. So uh, my unit strength is spread out a little bit more. And yes, he's got wind blasts out the wazoo but he had very little actual like range damage there's lightning three on the horror and then the banshee uh can do wind blast eight with the zephyr crown um and she could cast twice with uh the resonant chorus upgrade and those can roll for damage but there's no there's no piercing right so even my stuff that's defense four if you do averages right eight Dice hitting on fours is four hits and then damaging on fours is two damage. Like it's not very scary. So he's going to have to engage me to take off some units uh, to get control of some of those table zones. And my army's really good at the counter punch, right? So some of the pieces will die easily. You know, the four shambler regiments, they're there as chaff. You throw the scorch wings in front, they're there as chaff. But the other stuff hits hard and, um, Surge is a real, a real pain in the butt to deal with, as Rossi found out with air elementals. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I deployed. Uh, you know, we talked about this scenario in the last episode. My um, deployment strategy is kind of to straddle the line between four different zones. Um, so I was pretty much focused on my center and left so that I could take any of those four zones once I advanced up, right? If you think about the way the table is divided. And then I, I took my regiment of salamanders and I deployed it way out on its own on the right-hand side. And a little ways up from my deployment zone, there was a building that kind of was in between the table edge and the rest of the battle. So my thought with that was he could just ignore these salamanders and they'll have three unit strength in a table zone, or he could come and kill them. Um, but it might take, you know, a couple turns. And then if I'm sat here with um, the front of my unit, 
like at the halfway point of the building, then whatever kills me will be stuck, like getting around the building. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. Okay. So that's what he did with his fiends, which I thought was interesting because then the fiends, they did end up killing the salamanders, but uh, he didn't charge me till turn two. I think he didn't kill me the first go. So um, it wasn't until turn uh, four that he could really move out of there. And then by that time, they didn't have an effect on the battle. So the rest of my army was um, sort of concentrated and it was deployed in two or three layers to mitigate his ability to push stuff away with wind blast. Um, he had his two legions of bloodworms basically in the center with the horror in the middle to obviously give them the, uh, the vicious aura and yep. he can cast Bane chant on the one that doesn't have hammer and measured force. He had, you know, soul flares everywhere you looked left, right and center. There were soul flares. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the Banshee was yes. off on, uh, my left flank. And so the game started out and we were both like, I moved up to basically that middle point and there was some forests that I had my force concentrated in. I didn't really want to move out of because he didn't have any strider or pathfinder outside of Shakira. Um, so I wanted to make sure if he charged me, it would be hindered. And then he didn't want to get close enough to get charged by anything. So he was just kind of sitting back um, and pelting me with this little lightning bolt three and the, the wind blast that could do damage from the Banshee. And that's where things started to get a little annoying. So like <laughs> his first turn, he went first. Um, his first turn, he did his wind blast trick with the Banshee and hit the Abyssal Fiend and did one or two damage. And then Boxcars wavered me. I was like, oh, that's annoying. But, you know, I can't move on my turn. It's fine. Like, it's turn one. No big deal, right? Then <laughs> the rest of my army moves up. Uh, he goes again. Pew, 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 pew. All right, cool. I'm still in good shape. Now I charge some Scorch Wings into, he left them in range of um, Soul Flares. So on my left flank, Scorch Wings charge into Soul Flares. I'm not likely going to kill right, the soul flares. You're going to win in the right. run. But I'm pinning them in place, and then I just run the Molochs boo, 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 right up, like right. a couple inches behind the Scorch Wings, so that even if he throws all the Wind Blast he had over there, he can't push me out of charge range of those um, soul flares. So I'll probably lose the Scorch Wings, but the Molochs will get the soul flares, and I'll take that trade any day. So that's all well and good. The Scorch Rings did like four damage. Uh, didn't waver the Soul Flares. No big deal. Okay. Then he goes pew, pew, pew. Does one damage with his uh, Wind Blast and Boxcars again. <laughs> On the oh, Nerf wow. Jack. So now the Molochs are wavered. And of course they have Fury, but it doesn't help them. So now I just don't get those... Um, I lose the Scorch Rings and I don't get the uh, Soul Flares, which was really annoying. Um, oh. Didn't end up having much of a, an impact other than I didn't get those points. And then where the Molochs ended up was I just backed them away at that point. 
um, to hold on to my table section. Now in the center, it was like turn four or five, maybe when Nathan finally decided to commit, he just kept, he was just poking me with these wind blasts and lightnings and not doing much other than his boxcars waivers. Um, and he's looking at it and he's like, yeah, I just, I gotta go. I guess now's the time to go. And he charged, uh, the other three soul flare regiments into the fronts of stuff. Um, he had in the early turns too, he had lost S and Shira, I thought, or Isanisha or Shakira. He, I think he charged at one of my forest shambler regiments that was up there doing stuff, killed it. Uh, and then I charged some stuff into S and Shira, Shakira, Isanisha, whoever, and I killed her. It was her nerves only dash 13. Right. Uh, so that was a trade there. Um, and it was a good trade for him because he took unit strength from me and, you know, his was an individual. But other than that, you know, nothing had really happened. The fiends were killing the salamanders, but they're out of the battle. So he had killed a couple points of my unit strength. So he was up. Um, but he decided to engage. So those three soul flare regiments came crashing in uh, and mostly hindered charges because I was sitting in terrain. They didn't kill anything. So I quickly took all three of them off. I uh, got a nice rear charge with my air elemental on one of them. It was beautiful. Um, but that was like the screening cover so that the legions could come up. So then it goes back to him. The legions charge stuff. They kill stuff. Uh, but they can only kill one unit each, right? Right. And then it's back to me. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to kill one of these legions. That's exactly what I'm going to do right now. And again, playing with that chip on my shoulder, thinking about the matchup cast where they're like, Greg doesn't have anything that could kill a legion of bloodworms. So (laughs) (laughs) I got the centaur regiment and the earth elemental horde into the front. And I surged the greater earth elemental into the flank of the legion of bloodworms with the, um, the, what you call it, the hammer of measured force. Right. So the centaurs, 12 attacks, threes and twos. The Earth Elementals, remember, they've got Brew of Sharpness. So 18 attacks, threes and threes. And then the Greater Earth Elemental in the flank, 24 attacks, fours and twos. And I got Brutal. Uh, so, yeah, I punked that <laughs> Legion of Blood War. <laughs> I got to pull up the picture because the, the wound dice are there so I can tell you how much damage I did. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you overkill. I did, uh, let's see, 18 plus 8. I did 26 damage. Uh, and they break on a 28. And I'm brutal, you know. So yeah, I wiped them. And uh, that was great. And this was on turn 6. So I wiped them out. I had another, uh, my other regiment of Scorchwings, which had just been sitting in the back, um, you know, being that last line so I couldn't get wind blasted away, that said, hey, we could fly 20 inches, and flew over the top into his center zone. So after I killed that Legion and I reformed stuff a bit, I went around and I said, oh, look at that. It's the bottom of turn six and I'm winning four to two. And Nathan's face, he looked at me kind of like, what? <laughs> like double counting? Wow, I was like, happened. I'm winning right. four to two. I was like, you know what I really don't want? He's like, turn seven? I'm like, yeah, turn seven. Right. It's like, I can't, uh, Nathan, I, I can't. Mean like this? 
Right. Like, I can't look. You gotta you gotta tell me. So I close my eyes. <laughs> I love to do this. And I just hold my my die out over my um, you know, I have the dice tray that I roll into, and I drop it. There's a moment of silence, and I hear him go, come on. And I was like, is that a good come on or a bad come on? And then he goes, woo! And I was like, no. Oh, no. So I open my eyes. He's cheering. It's certain, you know, it's a four plus. So I'm like, all right, well, turn seven. Well, you know, maybe I could. No, no. He, yeah, he just turned seven. My toys went away. My turn seven. I couldn't take enough stuff off. Uh, to claim it back. So I ended up losing round one, uh, but it was, it it couldn't have been closer, right? I just had to not roll a four plus, just don't roll a four plus. And I win pretty significantly uh, round one. Now, Nathan went on to play on the top table in round six against Adam ultimately lost, but just want to point that out, right? Like on a four plus die roll, would have changed the entire trajectory of the tournament for both Nathan and for myself. So it was an excellent game. Um, and I think I played it really well. Um, I can't complain about that result. And afterwards, Nathan was like, Greg, I will never underestimate you again. Cause I think he had listened to the same matchup cast and thought to himself, wow, I've got this in the bag, in the bag. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's something about Kings of war, right? There's no such thing as in the bag. No. I mean, for, for a bunch of reasons. Yeah. Right. To be honest, I mean the uh, the the game lends itself to close play, and then at this stage of the game, there are people there who know what they're doing, right? And so even if you don't understand how a list works, that doesn't mean that the guy who's piloting it doesn't know what's happening. Right. Right. It's just because you haven't seen it, you know. Like that. That I think is a legitimate thing to remember. But yep. So John, uh, which game would you like to tell us about? Um, I had a great game six. I played against Patrick Zorro Allen. Ooh. And we were both doing pretty mediocre, I guess, at that point. I, I was I ended up two, two, and two for the weekend. So I'm I must have been two two, two, and one at that point. I think I, I lost this game. Um, but we had a great game, and it was the end of the, you know, it's always nice and casual at the end, too, because it's not, we're not winning, and it's game six, so that was great. And I've never played Patrick before. Um, <clears throat> I think he goes by Pat, not Patrick, but... Uh, so he had Undead, and I had uh, some BS Twilight Kin Elf Night Stalker Abyssal mashup <laughs> nonsense. Um, and I deployed like a total asshole in this game, and I <laughs> Really, you know, look like even as I was making the deployments, I said, oh, I made a terrible mistake. I don't remember the specifics. Uh, it was raise, I think, was the last scenario. The one where you have to burn the tokens on your opponent's side of the table. Correct. Yeah, it was raise and, you know, whatever. We, we spread the tokens out across, across the table between us. Um, but the big problem was there was one behind a hill on his side of the table. And I told myself, I'm going to go get that there token. And um, then I'm going to turn around and threaten the middle. Now I got this. Except there was a hill there. And I don't know what I was thinking. It was really dumb. My cavalry can't see over the hill. My infantry can't see over the hill. In fact, I don't have anything except for a mind screech that can see over the hill. Wow. 
And uh, typically that's a better defensive position to be in than it is offensive. Uh, and he, had, he put a couple of units over there, and it felt like I totally could. He also outdropped me, though, so he had this advantage going for him. I put just enough on that side of the table to not be able to break through effectively, um, but too much that, that, that like crimped me in the rest of the table. Interesting. It was the worst of both worlds. Like if I had just, if I had put maybe one more unit over there, I would have been able to power through that side and then and do my plan. And as it stood, I was just too, it was too much of a standoff and I couldn't, I couldn't get the positioning right. Uh, you know, I would have needed like a cheeky waiver or a cheeky route on something that I shot to, to make it happen. Um, he also had some uh, halfling units over there that I've never seen before and didn't know what they did, really. So I was a little bit, a little <laughs> bit leery about <laughs> how that was going to go. Um, but what, what really clawed back for me there was the bullshit of the Twilight Kin army. So I had an um, alchemist curse caster <laughs> who had boots of the seven leagues, so she could go, th she got to throw a 30 inch alchemist curse. And he had a bunch of these lichens like lichen heroes like canises is that what they're called i think yep um correct yeah and so he's got uh three of those and a vampire guy and a foot and a vampire and a pegasus he's just got like individuals and nimble characters all over the place but i'm just running around and like throwing alchemist curse at them and then i got mikhail too and he's just going around punking units like left and right yeah um and, and so that's the only thing that kept me in the game really uh i i kind of held off the rest of his army in the center killed enough of it, and then I eventually got the token on the side of the table behind the hill. Um, but, but it just took me to like turn six. It was way too late. I invested way too much stuff into getting it. Um, but there were a couple really fun moments. So one was Mikael made a charge through a character, punked a character, and then went through the next unit behind it, like uh, on the overrun, and killed that unit as well. Whoa. And so that doesn't always happen. I no. mean, it, it happens, but it doesn't always happen where you actually kill both of the units and you pick up two units in one turn. Um, and so that was kind of fun. I think you needed a three on the overrun. It wasn't like extreme or anything. And at the end of the game, he only had maybe two units left. And I only had two. Like, two wow. units. like it was all dead. Like a whole, the whole game. He might have had a little bit more than I did. Um, but it went to turn seven, and uh, we were fighting over the token in the center of the table. And he had a unit of Soul Reavers, like, and they're choppy, right? I had nothing that could fight up to the Soul Reavers. Um, so they're just like, I was just kind of putting stuff in front of them. And turn six, he turns them around and runs back towards the center. Uh, and I'm like, okay, you know, you're, you're in the center of the table, no problem. I don't have a unit that can really contest that. Right. But, but I have Mikael. <laughs> so, right. so I charge Mikael into the Soul Reavers. And I charge a unit of gargoyles who had just finished claiming a token, but unfortunately couldn't get far enough to claim the next token. It was on the other side of the table. It's okay. so like, well, gargoyles are standing at the, uh, looking at the rear of those soul reavers. I'll go for it. I think the soul reavers had, they might've had like, like four damage on them already. It wasn't like a couple of damage, not a lot. So gargoyles in the rear, that's 30 attacks, right? Mikhail on the front, he's like a six, but he adds the dread and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I roll all the attacks. I actually did a shitload of damage with the gargoyles, which was sure. pretty amazing on fours and fives. Um, Mikael added a couple. I needed an eight, and these guys are not inspired, right? All the characters are dead. I think, like, all of his characters were dead. Right, right. 
It's the bottom of seven. The game's on the line. I need an eight to break the Soul Reavers. Uh, and I roll it up, and it comes up a six. They're wavered, but not dead. Right. Um, and that would have been that would have been a flip because it would have flipped from a loss to a win because that one was worth two points. Wow. So we were basically fighting for that center one. So it was a great way to end the end the whole GT, right? Played a bunch of good games against some really great people. And then the last game comes down to the last die roll with the nerve check that was actually very makeable, right? And eight right. was, you know, could have flipped either direction. Um, so it was very, it, it was a very uh, intense moment, really fun. Sure. We had a great game to close it out. That's awesome. And, and I, I deployed like such a jerk, like right after deployment, I'm looking at the table. I'm like, this was, this is, why did I do this to myself? I should have, right? if I literally just flipped my deployment over and put all my aggressive units on the other side, they would have had a wide open field of, of the table, wide right. open view of the table. It was so stupid. So I felt like I deserve, I really deserved to lose that game. It's funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you do not, you do not make mistakes like that. Right, you normally have a plan. You kind of know what you're doing. I'm the one who puts the puts the army down and goes, "Who put the table like this?" Yeah, right. Well, we all we all every I don't know. I still have those moments from time to time, Mike. Right. Uh, this was definitely not one of my one of my better moments. <laughs> Fighting moments. And I I told I told Pat too. I was like, "Wow, I I really screwed that." He was like, "Yeah, I don't I don't know why you did that." <laughs> well, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> so. Ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Right. So, Greg, you want to give us another game? Sure. Uh, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> head over to round four. Round four, I was very fortunate to be uh, paired up against Dan Kamek. Um, yeah. Love Dan. Have not uh, played him in a singles game of Kings of War. Played him uh, doubles with Jake as my partner. Right at the Blue City Brawl, sure, but uh, never one on one. So I was really excited that we were going to have the opportunity to play. And this was uh, round four was Plunder, which is the uh, it's like loot, except there's five loot counters across the center, and you and your opponent both select one of them to be worth two points instead of one point. Right. So Dan was playing Ratkin. Let's talk about his list real quick. Horde of warriors with plague pots, two hordes of shock troops, both with plague pots, one of them with the potion of the caterpillar, one with the brew of strength, three claw shots troops, four vermintide regiments, three weapon teams, a warlock with alchemist curse, the tangle, mother Kryza, and skidkuzluk demon spawn of dew, or however you say that. So, yeah, um, that list is really powerful. It's got a lot and, uh, of the good stuff in it. Yeah, It's got all yeah. the good stuff, none yeah. of the not good stuff. Um, we're going to go on a little tangent here for a moment. Uh, kind of like Rossi was saying, you know, he won all his games except for the Force of Nature. Well, in every Kings of War tournament I've ever played in, no matter what army I've brought, I don't think, I honestly don't think I've ever beaten Ratkin. I don't know why Ratkin aren't viewed as the best army in the game. Maybe they're just really good against me. I always lose <laughs> or draw against them. I can never beat them. They're so good. Why doesn't everyone play Ratkin? Because they don't want to paint all the models? I don't know. I think I need to, 
I think I need to break into John's house, steal his old Skaven army, rebase them for Kings of War, uh, and go on a global domination world tour. You would be a um, force to be reckoned with, Greg. That's Dude, my. Uh, that's it. My my whole failing, Greg, is that I haven't used my Ratkin army in Kings of War. That, honestly, I think it is. Like I I don't know. <laughs> like like you break it down. Like you you've got these hordes that have just a whole bunch of uh, unit strength that in the shock troops actually output some decent damage. And, you know, with Plague Pots, basically can't be killed. You're like, my nerve is through the roof, and on the turn I want, I'm stealthy and ensnare. Uh, and I have, um, you know, <laughs> all this shooting to back it up with lots of piercing. And I've got a great... Uh, chaff unit for 65 points and I've got uh, the best dragon in the game with Scud and his 13 attacks <laughs> who can also throw a lightning bolt in the meantime I don't know it's a really good list uh, so it's 17 drops 21 unit strength I've got an advantage in unit strength but it doesn't matter because we're playing plunder um, I picked the two point token first so Dan picked the second one and he put it right next to mine so at that point, I was like, all right, well, I he can spread out because he way out drops me. Um, I can't do that. So I guess I'm just going to put everything across from these two two-point tokens. And if I can get them, that's four points. Even if he gets all the other three, that's only three points. I can get those two, and I can win the game. Uh, Plunder is one of those games... Uh, one of those scenarios where it's really important to get the first turn. And I got the first turn. Uh, Dan was pretty uh, disappointed <laughs> when that happened. He was like, man, huh. I needed first turn. I was right. like, I know. And I got it. Here we go. Get ready. So uh, I came up pretty aggressively. I got, uh, after the first few turns, I had three points of tokens. And then I was right there in front of the the other two-point token. It was right there. I was going to go get it with, uh, you know, my earth elementals and my air elemental. They were there, ready to go. Um, And it is at this point that that things took a turn. So his shooting just started unloading. And, like, it was removing uh, at least one unit a turn on my end. I think at this point it was the Horde of Molochs that he looked at and said, that's cute, and then they disappeared. Um... And to prevent me from getting that other two-point token, he flew in and committed Scud. He charged him into the front of uh, my horde of Earth Elementals. And right behind Scud's base, that's where the two-point token was. And it was like, in my mind, I'm like, this is great. Scud's not going to kill the Earth Elemental horde. I'm going to kill Scud. Then I'm going to get that two-point token. Then I'm just going to hope that I can survive the onslaught of his shooting for a couple more turns to win the game. So uh, what did I do? I charged back into the front with the Horde of Earth Elementals, and I got my friend, the Greater Earth Elemental, into the side. And I had taken out, at this point, I had taken out one of the Shock Troop Hordes. I had gotten a really good uh, surge set up where it was the Brew of Strength. No, it was the Caterpillar one. Uh, I got them in the flank with both the Horde of Earth Elementals and the Greater Air Elemental. So that was beautiful. Took them off. Lost the Air Elemental, the Greater Air Elemental on the next turn, but well worth the trade, right? So Scud, 
in the front with the horde of earth elementals, in the flank with the greater earth elemental. Let's do a little math, shall we? 18 attacks, threes and fours should be six damage. 24 attacks, fours and twos should be 10 damage. That's 16 damage. Count it as 17 with Brutal. That's yeah. Snake Eyes to, sk- to kill Scud. Right. Uh, I think I did 9 damage instead of 16. Wah, wah. So I'm like 10. And he's like, well, you know, you could still get me. Or maybe I did 10 damage, so it was an 11. I don't right. know. It's still, and he's a 17, 19. Yeah, so it was like an 8. An 8. I was like, I got unlucky on the damage. Maybe I'll get lucky on the nerve roll and then I didn't even waver him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I lost, I lost a lot of things, lost all that a lot stuff. of things, yeah, a lot of things. And, uh, that was it. I couldn't get to that two point token and, um, it was bad. Actually, let me wind back the tape and tell that story again because I realized I had the order of operations wrong. The way he had to charge my earth elementals meant that he couldn't line up, you know, center to center. He had to be on an edge. And he kind of did this by putting another unit in the way, and it prevented Scud from being hindered because he would have landed in terrain. But it meant if I don't counter charge, if I just do a regular charge, I'm in the flank. So actually, it was the horde of earth elementals in the flank and the greater earth elemental in the front. So now we could do that math again. 36 attacks, threes (laughs) and fours should be 12 damage because it should be 24 hits, 12 damage. And then 12 in the front hitting on fours and twos should be five damage. So it's slightly more. It's 17 damage on average. Either way, way it doesn't matter. I botched the roll badly. I lost my toys. That was the end of the game. Right. Um, but it was a great game. Uh, and I I hope for Dan's sake that I wasn't uh, being sad and salty when that went south because <laughs> right. inside, inside it hurt. <laughs> I would imagine it would. Right. But, uh, you know, shout out to Dan. He's a great painter. I had not seen his Ratkin before. It looked fantastic. He had a jungle basing theme that I really liked. He had, as far as I could tell a 100% Mantic Ratkin army and it looked fantastic. Um, scored really high in the yeah. rankings overall. Not surprising. For so, Not surprising. You know, folks who uh, want to see an example, I'm telling you, if you're like me and you're like, I want to do better at tournaments, get a Ratkin army. And Mantic makes the models now. You could Greg, take Dan's. I just told you Dan's list. Greg, I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> I think Ratkin are so busted, and I I agree. I don't know why they don't win every tournament they go to. I don't know. Corey Reynolds piloted them, piloted them very successfully for many years. Yeah, they're. I think he's really the only one in our region. Josh has a Ratkin army again. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, he's been doing pretty well with it, but he put it to the side a few years Lab ago. 13. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. So that's my pitch for Ratkin and my pitch for Dan Kamek. What a guy. Love them. To, to, to be honest, the thing that makes, in my opinion, the thing that makes Reckon tough um, is the fact that they do have the hordes that are hard to shift. And then their shooting is hyper good. It's super like, good. Like for the points, you get what those, those 
they used to be rattling guns. I forget what they're called now. Weapons right? teams. Weapons, Weapons teams. teams. They, yeah, they, for they, 85 points. 85 points. You have nimble and a thousand shots with Pierce one. What are we yep. even talking about? Right. And then. Yep. And steady right? aim. Yep. And steady aim. And so it's just, you can't kill them. And there's always three of them. And they're always pointing at something and saying, could you please pick that up? And then their, um, their claw shots are, in my opinion, better than uh, the Dwarven equivalent. Right, they are better for five points less. They move, they move faster, and they hit just as hard. Yep. And right? their nerve is higher because of rallying. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah, right. Which is just really they, I don't know because the the dwarf ones are what nine eleven. Uh, they're they're nine eleven defense five, and then yeah. the shock troops are a little better with defense. They're eight ten defense five, but when you get rally two on them, they're actually ten twelve. So right, yeah. Assuming you they have headstrong, but, but still. Who cares? No, a headstrong doesn't matter on a shooting unit. Yeah, it doesn't anyway, matter. It's five attacks on fives. So who cares, right? So, yeah. So I don't know. I she I think that they're I think their list is good. And then they have toys. They have toys yeah. that do cool things, right? They have a dragon. I mean, why don't? Anyway, neither here nor there. So, yeah. John, would you like to talk about your your uh, your other game that you want to talk about? Um, I don't know. I really actually had a bunch of good games. Um. I, the first two rounds I played against dwarves back to back, and since Mike's talking about games of dwarves, I don't want to talk about another game of dwarves. But they were they you. really they were really were who both did you play? Good. I played Kyle Timberlake and then Alan Wingness, I think his last name was okay from the mid mid Midwest. Midwest they were both yeah. both great games. It was two draws. Mm. Um, dwarves dwarves is like the thing I did not want to come up against, and then I faced them twice in a row. Right. Um, right. And so both of those draws were by the skin of my teeth, where like it went to turn seven and I barely squeaked it from a loss to a draw in both right. games. So it was, uh, that was, that was a bit rough. Um, but the, uh, the other game that was interesting, I think was round five. I played against Dustin Howard. Um, and he's got one of those gross, nice stalker armies that was winning the event, obviously. Uh, and I, we played on, it was invade and we played on this stupid, stupid, Stupid map. Um, whoever made that map, you're stupid. Uh, uh, it, your channel timed out. Oh, there goes Mike. <laughs> um, Mike made the map. <laughs> <laughs> He's been banished. <laughs> Who did it? Mike did it. Um, so the, the user entered your channel. The, the problem was uh, the map had two buildings, two impassables kind of in the middle-ish of the table, like maybe the, the one-third and two-third segments, uh, like from the edges. And both of them were on one of the table sides, and we're playing Invade. So basically, whoever gets the table side with the two impassables on their half of the table is severely restricted in movement for getting your units across the table. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at that and thinking, well, whoever gets the win for table sides probably won this game. And then I uh, lost the role for table sides, and not not to take anything away from Dustin. Dustin, you know, maybe just would have beat me anyway. Um, but he definitely had a leg up based on <laughs> the table side there. So predictably, as often happens in Invade, we put each put our armies on the opposite sides of the table, like left to right, and uh, pivoted around each other. And my only he was up by one unit strength, and he knows he's up by one unit strength, right? And all he's got to do is push his extremely hard to kill units over the edge of the table, and it's an auto win, right? 
But I have a bunch of shooting and, and casting, and he doesn't really have any of that to speak of. So I'm thinking, well, all I have to do is kill one thing. If I can, if I can get most of my units ranked across the table too, and in the process, take off a single unit, then this is a different game. But again, the, 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 the impassables are just in a place that messes up any chance of having a consolidated approach to putting all of your force in a place to actually fight something. Right. So I moved, I moved like two units of my cavalry and my gargoyles up on the far side of the building. And I was like, well, they're out of the game. They're done. But at least it's unit strength that's going to go across the edge. And in this silly Northern King scoring system, the bonus points you got were not based on unit strength. They were based on number of units. So I'm like, well, I can't fit all my units into the engagement anyway. Right. I might as well take four or five of them and just go get free points for them for surviving the game. Because they're never going to die. Every, each one of them is a, is a battle point. Yeah. I hate that, personally. Because it skews towards certain army builds and, and certain army lists sure that does. have access to those characters. And it really blows. Sure does. So, so I took 245, 500, six, 700 points and just said, well, I'll play the game without that, but it's four tournament points. And then, no, actually, I, yeah, yeah, it was two units of cabin, two units of gargoyles. The rest of my army, I tried to push up through this gap in between the buildings so that I was close enough to his army to at least potentially get shots on it and try to pick something off. Um, but what was inevitably going to happen here was there was going to be an inflection point where he was either going to turn around and be like, okay, I've isolated enough of your army. Now I'll come fight you. Or I'm going to shoot something off and then just try to run away. But he's got all those soul flayers too. So it's a little bit tough to run away effectively. So I wedge my army into the center of the table. And then I'm like, well, I can just keep like sidestepping. So by the end of the game, I'll be over, over the side and I can shoot. Um, but I could never get enough shots on anything to really kill it. I had a couple of chances where I did, you know, I don't know, I shot a couple of units out of units soul flares and I did six damage or five damage or something like that, but I didn't um didn't break it. And like that was my shot to take off two unit strength, get the advantage, and force his hands. Um I, a couple, you know, a couple of times I got shots on a unit shadow hounds, did a couple of damage. And, and like all you gotta do is two two damage to unit shadow hounds, right? And you could spike a nerve check and take them off. But I didn't get the nerve checks. Right. Um, and so we ended up fighting in the center where, like, he turned his Shadow Hulks around. We, there was a forest. And so he, he pulled the Shadow Hulks through the forest, thinking, now he's only got to commit three unit strength with three Shadow Hulks, right? And I have to commit my three unit strength, either regiments of cavalry or Glade Stalkers, to fight them. So it's a major advantage in his direction in terms of what he's willing to put into the fight versus what matters in the game. Because for every unit of mine that he kills, I lose three to his one. So even if we right, wipe each right, other out in that right. fight, he comes out way ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, so we ended up in a little bit of a grind there. I killed a couple of Shadow Hulks. He killed a couple of my units. You know, at the end of the day, he puts more unit strength over the table uh, than, than I did, as we expected. Um, and I take my five bonus points for the loss. Um, but it was just like, just looking at the, at the the map and the deployment, it was just such a shit game um, from that right. perspective. Now, Dustin, right. Dustin was great to play against, and I think we actually kind of like made the best of it and had a fun game. Um, but it would have been nice to play a game where, like, I would, I would like to play Dustin again, 
where it's not so polarizing with the way we have to set up the armies and we actually yeah. get to you know fight <laughs> i fairly i guess i would say right um so that it was that game was you know like again it was it was it was still fun made the best of it but it was a little bit disappointing that the terrain was so was so sticky compared to that scenario too like you you should I don't know. As a map maker for a GT, you should think about what scenario is being played on what map. Yeah, right. You can't you can't just pull a um, you know an Epic Dwarf map pack and go these are them. Yeah, because right? yeah. at least at least to weird at least to weird situations. It leads to like weird that. yeah weird stuff like yeah. that. Right. So another another notable game. I, I honestly I had I played six great games. I had all great opponents. Every single one of my games was really fun. Right. Um, so I had a super a super time for the weekend. It was a great weekend of Kings of War. Um, that's it, that's my uh, my executive summary. <laughs> yeah, right. So it, it's it's uh, so my 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 third my other game that I want to talk about is it's a it's a heads up. I'm actually going to write an article about my loss in round four to um, Mark Taylor's uh, Forces of Nature because I made. A couple Ooh. mistakes in that list. I, I I can touch I can touch on it quick. Um, you know he's got the air elemental formation plus some more air elementals and then some earth and some fire. Like he's got, you know he's he's got all the earth and all the nature over there. Everything was elementals. Everything was able to surge. It was very scary. And we're playing uh, plunder, and he went first. So oh no. Right, so he's going to move up. He's going to, yeah, he's going to collect the tokens and 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 leave. I'm I'm in a bad way. Um, and what I had done is I set up my my, uh, I had a piece of, like a woods, uh, at the mid about close to the midway point of the table, about halfway through the table, and then I set up four regiments of, iron uh, iron guard, with not enough space to put a greater earth elemental in between them. Oops. In a Row. Well, no, not enough space. So there were there was no there was no surging in there. I was oh good. oh you you want you did that no, on purpose. I did not derp it up like I did at Orktown. Uh -huh. I got it figured out right. Got a nice solid line. I got Gallic behind him. I got Garrick heavy hand in there. We're gonna march up. We're gonna use the the um, you know, we're gonna use the wood as an anchor, and we're gonna move up. We're gonna grab this two point token, this one point token, and on the right hand side, I put just enough to go grab a two point token and run for the corner, which I did. I got that all secured on the left-hand side. I move up and he at the end of turn three is looking and he's got, you know, we're doing this standoff thing where I'm like, if I move forward, he's going to be able to jump me with the air elementals. Right. And so, okay, cool. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He's looking at the table and next thing you know, he starts pulling out all of his blank bases. He goes, you know, I probably shouldn't do this, but I think I want to charge. And I'm like, what? Because right now, like, you're winning. Like, at the last turn, you just pick up the stuff and leave. Because yeah, but I think I have to win big. And so he looks down at the table, and he he has uh, one of his hordes of Earth of Air Elementals had um, the the uh, TC1 item. Right? Helmet of the Drunken Ram. Helmet of the Drunken Ram. His other unit in the middle had the Hammer of Measured Force. So I'm looking down, and I'm like, oh, if he goes to charge in, uh, if he takes the middle part away, like there's, if he if he charges in with the hammer of measured force, he couldn't reach the 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 unit way on the far left flank, and he didn't want to be in the woods because he'd be hindered. Well, he wouldn't be hindered, but I had a, I had um, 
uh, Faber Ironheart ready to go over there and like punch anybody who showed themselves in the woods, right? So I'm like, I'll I'll guard the flank. You have to show yourself before I come, you know, before you charge. So turns out he goes, he does all his measurements and he goes, I can fit everybody in, and he charges everybody in on that side. He has both the hordes, both the graders, and a horde of fire elementals and a regiment of earth elementals fighting me in a line. And I'm like, now I have a chance. Right, because before the game was a fait accompli, he was going to win. I had placed Gallic in such a way, where because of his hammer of measured force was in the was couldn't reach the unit on the far left. I was like, well, that's the one I got to watch. So a greater a greater air elemental will go in and do um, six wounds, maybe seven, and then the hammer of measured force will do eighteen nine. Will do another five. That puts me in the danger zone. On the left-hand side, oddly enough, that TC1 isn't going to be enough to really matter. It'll put me, he'll like, he'll need like a 10 or an 11 on average to break the unit on the left. So Gallic, I was fully convinced that this regiment and, and the second over from the left was going to break first. So Gallic is looking there, right? Garrick Heavy Hand is too far away. He runs in, he charges, and does exactly the right number of wounds on the on the regiment on the left, and then spikes the nerve roll. 11 11 mm. breaks that breaks the regiment on the far left of the table and turns toward turns toward me and i looked over at that and i took some measurements and Gallic isn't looking the right way because he's ready for this other unit in front of him that totally stayed fine and had no problems right and i was like nothing can see to the left to deal with this greater air elemental and the horde of air elementals that are now in my flank i'm doomed that could have gone so much better. If I had just turned Gallic another 13 degrees to the left and been like, yeah, but I'll watch over here just in case. Just in case. But I was so fixated, right, yep. that I blew it. And then while I'm trying to like, I'm like, okay, well, we'll switch gears. I'm going to take this other, these other two tokens in the middle and I'll make a grab for them with my, you know, Faber will run over and my uh, King of Large Beast will go and grab them and they'll try to flee and just get in the quarter and try to play time. So everyone runs up after after the left falls apart. On the right, during my next turn, I run up and I grab the I, the two point token is being held by a regiment of ironclad or iron guard that are running as fast as they can to the corner. And then the two one point tokens in the middle, I have a carry. I have favor on one. I have the king of large beast on the other. He has a horde of something uh, fire elementals and another like regiment of uh, earth elementals that are looking at me. But they have to fight me, and I'm like, okay, at least I, at least I get to roll dice. Garrick Heavy Hand is in the middle, and he's trying to like punch stuff. And at one point, he got charged by a horde of fire elementals in his front, and a greater air elemental in uh, it was the rear. Anyway, it was the, it was done in such a way that like we were twisted a little bit. It's to my flank. So during my turn, and so he goes in. They, he fights me with both those things. He does not kill Garrick Heavy Hand. I'm like, yeah. I'm like so fixated on just like the the fire elementals directly in front of me have got five, six wounds on them. I'm like, I could get Garrick in there and maybe I could kill him. But the greater air elemental that is behind me can see over me is height five, six, whatever. It can see to the middle of the board where the king on large beast is standing on top of the token. Mm -hmm. But I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't see you know, I didn't. I was like, well, I'll just kill these fire elementals. So Garrick goes in there. And he does a round of combat, fleeing the greater air elemental, elemental, which can see over the fire elementals in front of him. And he goes, during his turn, he goes, well, 
by and flies from there over to the middle of the table, punks the king, knocks him off his stupid large beast and picks up the token. Right. Cause I was like, Oh, you can see that. And I immediately put my hands up to my head. Right. Cause mistakes on mistakes on mistakes now. Right. And Mark ended up getting, I think 24 points after all was said and done. I had two units left alive. One of them, both of them had tokens, right? It was Faber standing on one and the, and the regiment of, uh, regiment of iron guard running into the corner with the other. So I had three to four for points, but he killed all the stuff. He killed all the stuff, right? I had two units left because of those mistakes. It was so stupid. So stupid. Like, you know, those, those types of little things where, you know, you're, you, you could have seen there, but you didn't for some reason, those are the things that separate like us from the really good players. I totally agree. <laughs> and, and to be fair, John, the, the, the thing that I was talking, I was talking to Corey about it that night. And I said, you know, if I would play other stuff, like I've never played an army that really surges. I, I mean, dwarves surge, but not really. Right. But I like, there are things like that, where if I played an army like that for a year, I would then learn what the, how it works. I would then be able to see the table from my opponent's perspective. Right. right. And be able to say, Hey, that thing is height six and this is what it can see. Right. It doesn't even occur to me to even think about that. Right. And when, when I'm looking down at the table, cause everything is infantry to me, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't register. Right. Yeah. So it, playing those armies actually gives me, would give me insight into how they run. And I would make less mistakes like that. True. To be fair. True. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, so some of that is, is who's in our region playing. Some of it's just playing in general. Right, agree. Of just, of just more, more grind time, seeing more stuff. But, yeah, no yeah. Matters. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Nah, totally. But it, it's funny because, uh, you know, Mark, he's lovely. Like he got to be turned five, and he's killing all my shit. He goes, "I'm really sorry. I got to do this." I go, "Buddy, you do what you got to do. I understand what ha I understand how this works. Right? Get, get to murdering. You know, I'm gonna get to running. You get to murdering, and I'm gonna hope we don't go to seven. Let's go. And of course, we went to seven, and he killed the rest of. Right? It was. But, you know, he was it was one of those things where we both knew I had made some big mistakes and he he had to make me pay, you know, because it was the way it's the round four at the Masters. He has a chance to go and do cool things. Right. Right. So get going. But I also want to put a shout out to. Uh, to Stephen DeRose, um, Garrett Mercier, and because uh, I played all mountain people day one and then uh, day two, my other two, my last two rounds were against Kyle Timberlake who I've played at our previous masters and uh, I got a little bit of luck and I'm still the, I'm still the high King. Thank God. Right. Cause he's, I love playing Kyle, by the way. what did you think of your game with Kyle? It was great. Yeah. We had a great right? time. Yep. Just a really fun dude. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Really, really easy going. Just, yep. It's fun. Right. And then I flew all the way across the country to play K2 last round. That's always nice. Well, I mean, nothing wrong with playing K2. No, listen, but... I love it. Right. But still it's, you know, it was, but it was, it was good. It was a good way to end the, end the tournament. But anyway. Yeah. I'll, um, you know, let the record state that I also had six incredible games. And though I did not go into detail, Patrick Zorro Allen, consummate gentleman round two had fun. Mark Taylor played him round three. Great game. Pat O'Neill from the Northeast round five. Excellent <laughs> game. Right. Uh, of all the people on the Northeast team, 
he and I have played against each other the least. I think I'd only ever played him once or maybe twice before. So, oh, so that's it was not okay. bad, actually. Yeah. And then last round against Dan Wright uh, from Oregon, not to be confused with the other Dan Wright, who's big, also big on Dan the Wright. Pacific Northwest team. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Dan was awesome with a really cool uh, gator themed ogre army. So that was fun. Uh, yeah, excellent games all around. Um, the two I went into, I think, were the most interesting uh, from a, a gameplay standpoint to relate. So, so in hindsight, right? We we go to the Masters, and this is we've been we the three of us have been to every Masters, right? Yes. Which I want to highlight a little bit. Um, and. One of the things that I have found... You'd think we'd have some more street cred at this point. We've got the second most popular Kings of War podcast. We go to every Masters. And then we got in these matchup casts, and they're like, who are these chumps? Nobody knows our name. Nobody knows who we Nobody. are. Like, yeah. Come on. What are we talking well, about, right? Yes, when people don't listen to your podcast, it doesn't help. <laughs> we, we Listen, we have the reach in the dozens. But, <laughs> so we, so, but we went, right? And one of the things that I am always amazed at when I go is that for the most part, Right. For the most part, like I love our scene here in the Northeast and I will I will continue to say that, like, we are we're intensely welcoming and everything is really just we're a good bunch of people to play against. Come and play Kings of War. It's a fun game. Get, you know, get your ass to the local game store. Right. But then we, we fly across wherever we go. And the people that play this game. Are worth traveling for. Right. Like, they're just good people. Like, every time I go rock up to a table, if I haven't met somebody, I'm like, I'm going to make a buddy. And if I have met somebody, I'm like, man, how are things? What's going on? Right? I mean, that that is precious and is worth traveling for. It is worth going to Seattle from Albany for, you know, in, in my opinion. But. I've, I've always had great games at the – I mean, you know, uh, five out of six at a minimum – yeah. Great games at the Masters, you know, meeting great people. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things that it is a big commitment to go to a Masters event any year. But yeah. especially, you know, this was the furthest we've had to travel. Um, but it's about so much more than just competing in the tournament, which, of course, is always you know, the main draw and it's the thing that brings you there, but then it's the great people that, you know, you're going to spend time with. It's the ability, like we said at the start to explore a place we haven't been before. It's right. The just welcoming community, the hangout, the, the feeling that like, you know, this is, it was a, for all of us, it was a big vacation and it was a, yeah. a great vacation. And I don't know that, I would have gone to Seattle this summer had I not been um, competing in the Masters. So the way go. it all just comes together is, is wonderful. And to the folks that I, you know, get to catch up with and the the people that I meet for the first time, it's just, it, it is an experience unlike any other with the things that I do in my life. It, 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 the thing that I love the most about it is when you, it, it's, it's, we, we touched on this, right? And this is just the way that we master, right? So uh, I am lucky I get to travel with Corey, you know? And so we were like, okay, so we're both going to the Masters this year. He got an Airbnb. I got the rental car. I brought my, you know, I brought Mindy out with us. And we were like, okay, so we're going to be staying here. We plotted out the trip. We're going to go hiking. We're going to go downtown. We're going to see the fish market. We're going to explore the place, right? Do the Space Needle. 
then Thursday rolls around and it's like, okay, guys are starting to roll into town on Thursday. So we're going to go all go out to dinner on Thursday and we're going to meet them at the, you know, make sure that they're okay when they get to the hotel to get to their, uh, you know, get to the airport. And then the next day is Friday and, 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 you know, Mindy flew home Friday morning, but then like the ramp up, everyone's rolling in. Right. And then you go to the venue and you're like, Oh man, I haven't seen you in a year. How are things going? And then you go through a couple days of gaming and there's some drinking and hanging out. and Everyone's just really like mingling. And then there's that Sunday night hangout and Monday you get on the plane. You're like, that was worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was, that was good stuff. And I know that, and I'm going to, I I think it would be disingenuous to not talk about this. I know that there were um, some issues with the way that the masters were, was run this year. Right. Um, the venue uh, was, was had these weird rules where they locked the, you know, they locked the hall at eight o'clock and they, they, there were quiet time at 10. So luckily we had the, the, um, you know, the, the hospitality suite to hang in, hang out in. So, we, you know, but it was, it was a different vibe than normal. So there were some th- issues with the venue, um, a couple issues with like the, the, the scoring program um, shat the bed right midway through, I think round two. So there were these weird glitches that I hadn't experienced at a masters before, mm-hmm. but, if you look past that and it's easy for me to do that, to be honest, like in the moment I was like, man, what is going on? But then like I flew home and the first thing I do is I go, I got to play more and I can't wait to see these guys again. Like that matters, you know, in, in the big scheme of things, I think that that matters. I don't, I've played, I wasn't a super competitive magic player, but I've seen it. Right. And I wasn't, I played Warhammer competitive, competitive, competitively for a long time and then i cannot not remember tales of the etc where you would fly overseas just to get in arguments yeah for the for the for the week i'm like why would you do that and then live stream of the award ceremony from adepticon years ago where the two warhammer guys are yelling at each other while they're getting their trophies we have none of that garbage here Right. Like I love the community. Damn straight. Right. So you can have like, you can have a bad hotel. That's like, we don't understand your gaming ways. Fine. I'm still going to go. Cause the people matter, you know, and it's the same crap I say every time, but man, flying home. I'm like, yeah, I love this shit. Can't wait to do it again. You know? And maybe that makes me uh, overly optimistic or Pollyanna-ish, but whatever. Yeah, I know what I like, man. I know what I like. You know? Uh, yeah, having a good time. It's good. Yeah. Anyway. Any other thoughts? I I my I guess my parting thought here, I hope I hope, you know, that I am fortunate enough to attend Masters again next year. And I'm really uh, excited to get this dwarf army that I'm working on finished uh, and be able to bring that and, and see how I can do. Um, <clears throat> not just from a gaming standpoint, because I think this list I'm designing due to the limits and restrictions of models, uh, maybe not as competitive as some other things I've played, but uh, hobby-wise, this is going to be you know, if, if I can get it done, it's going to be my best hobby project to date. So sure, it was really exciting for me to be following along and watching Brinton Williams 
working on this gorgeous ogre army. And this was, you know, as he put it, like him trying to put his best foot forward for Masters and to see that pay off for him where he won the Player's Choice Award and he came in second overall uh, for painting. You know, because there is, although it's not everyone's priority, uh, for many of us, it, it is a whole nother aspect of the competition where you're bringing some of the best painters in the country together, sure. some of the best sportsmen in, your channel, in the country out. together. Yep. Um, you know, Mike dropped off again because he's just a power gamer. He doesn't want to hear this stuff. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I'm really going to go all out with this army and, and see if I can uh, crack into User you know, the channel. top three in these categories, see how I can do. So uh, that's what's going to be kind of motivating me throughout the year to get all these infantry painted. Hey, if you need any uh, old Greg, metal minis, you let me know. I'm here for you. Like if they, if you're if you're worried about model selection, I got models, dude. Just let me know. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Greg. You're you're better at that than I am about committing to a a, a project that you're you know gonna take all the way. Like you'll you'll write a list, paint the whole army, and be like, no, that's the list. That's what it is. That's how I'm playing it. I, I, I sure am to I, a fault. Around so much more than that, I can't. I can't. I can't stay the course long enough to do that. Good for you. It's good. Good trait. User in your channel timed out. Oh, there's Mike. Mike's having trouble apparently. Well, anyway, I think we're more or less done here. So, Greg. User entered your channel. Is Greg still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. We're. We're here just in time to uh, say goodbye. And uh, <laughs> if you're looking for more coverage, I do need to give a quick shout out. I, I haven't watched it yet, but Mike Adkins um, and company put together a whole production with live streaming um, different tables and games. And from what I've heard, it's all fantastic. And you can watch it on YouTube still, uh, I think on the Dash 28 YouTube channel. Um, so there's that content if you haven't seen it yet. And I know Countercharge has put out at least two episodes so far covering Masters, including an interview with Adam Ballard. Congratulations uh, yeah. to our reigning U.S. Master. So that is all great. So if you're itching for more uh, Masters coverage, those are my two recommendations of places to go. And uh, again, thanks for listening. And until next time, take care.